0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pavetti Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and two minutes, and we expect an on-time arrival. Come come on this flight, the true meaning of disruption in our travel. Innovations in the front of the cabin that trickle down to coach. A petition to prevent U.S. airlines from limiting legroom. A court decision that changes the game in passenger claims for delays in Europe. A smart luggage startup proves not that smart after all. Quebec Airport puts an Apple Watch on its wrist. United equips its flight attendant with iPhones, and it's freaking flyers with a secret program. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones.
1: Flight 25 to Long Beach. Oh, Long Beach. I have a soft spot for there at airport. I'll tell you why later. It's a lovely place. What a lovely destination. Sunny California as well.
0: Oh, yeah. We wish we were because it started raining again in London after a week off. Sun, no, it's, it's gone. Yeah, so, it's, uh, it's going to rain for the anyway. next six
1: months, so we better get used to it.
0: <laughs> As usual, I'll start with some shout-outs. Uh, I- I'm first going to cite that even though we do shout-outs, I've received more and more feedback over the episodes, and especially in the last one. They're all very cool, meaning that we will not cover all the feedback we received, so don't feel... Bad, if we haven't, it doesn't mean that we don't like what you're telling us. But we would spend otherwise 15 minutes just thanking everyone. Uh, there's also some people sending us stories. Uh, same thing here. If we don't cover stories, it doesn't mean that we don't like them. It might mean that they do not fit in the editorial we created for the show. We might save them for later, etc. So just please do not <laughs> if you feel bad if we don't use the stories. And keep sending Actually, them in because we really appreciate them. Actually, Michael Fuller, whom we thanked last time, again, sent me a lot of interesting tidbits. So I want to I want to thank him very much for it. He said one thing that is actually very interesting. He said that at one point we should uh, talk about leisure carriers uh, because it's true that they're a big feature on the market. You know, these uh, almost charter planes for holiday yeah. destinations are a big chunk of the market. And we, it's true we haven't talked about it, probably because... I don't know if you use them, but I don't really use them. So I don't know them very well. No, honest.
1: I ha- I haven't uh, taken one in a long time. But I do know that my mom took one recently, and, and I think maybe Thompson, a uh, brand new Dreamliner. And wow. yeah, I she said, flew the Dreamliner. She flew the you. Dreamliner. For, she doesn't know what that means or care. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, she did and uh, was 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 very, very positive about the experience. So you know, I think Michael's got a great point. We need to to cover that a little bit more.
0: Yeah, we should. Uh, a few quick other uh, shout-outs. Uh, Cédric Ingrand is a broadcaster in France. He's a geek, runs mm-hmm. one of the very famous uh, French show about technology. Uh, he said that he loves our show, so thank you very much. He's oh, at Cédric you. on uh, Twitter. He, uh, he also said, keep the sound clean. So, uh, Cédric, uh, I hope that we are good enough for your sound quality. We don't have broadcast quality, but we try our best. <laughs> and it's appreciated, honestly. I know at the very beginning of our recordings – John Biggs kept telling us that we should have a better sound. I hope now that the sound is eighty uh, twenty, so it's good enough for you guys. But if anyone has tidbits on how to make it even better, if you think it's possible, just let us know. Uh, but honestly, we're using Zencaster. That's another shout-out, and it's really fantastic. Excellent, app. excellent piece of software. Uh, another quick as well to Marcus, Marcus Volter. Again, uh, he mentioned that the angle of attack is not the glide slope right, Alex? Like so. Oh, yes. No, he is absolutely spot on.
1: Angle of attack is the air, angle of the airplane relative to, I guess, the horizon. Uh, and the glide slope is the angle at which it's descending. Um, yeah. I, I probably screwed that up
0: too, but that's certainly my understanding <laughs> of it. Marcus, please get in touch if I mess that up. Peter Johnson at uh, NASCO Thornet, I think on Twitter, uh, named us as one of these uh, favorite podcasts. There was a International Podcast Day the other week. I didn't know that. Me so Thank you very much. They yeah, were really, really totally naive about this world of podcasting. By the way, in terms of podcast discovery, which is always a bit tricky, Product Hunt I started uh, vertical on podcasting. So every day people can submit post episodes and not shows. That's the interesting bit. And people can then vote and choose, oh, th- this was a cool episode, so I'm upvoting it, a bit like uh, Reddit or Dig in the, in the old days. Uh, so I started submitting our episodes there. So if you want to take a look there as well, we are uh, there. Uh, it's, it's a pretty cool feature. I hope that somebody solves this whole discovery thing on podcast. I had no idea it was, it was such a problem. And I think that the podcasts that I have uh, on my
1: phone that I listen to regularly have all, now I think about it, come from word of mouth.
0: Absolutely. Exactly.
1: So this, this this structure, I think, that Product Hunt has put together is is a great way to, to solve that and I hope kind of proliferates outward pretty
0: quickly. So uh, Product Hunt is part of the disruption because that's the term that all the Silicon Valley and everybody who kind of works in tech loves to use this word. I mean, if every time we heard the term disruption, we'd get a nickel, we'd be billionaires by now. And <laughs> because we we're on that topic, there was an article that, Got us both started very quickly about disruption. I'll let you run with it first, Alex. This article
1: uh, came up in Fast Company, which is a magazine that I, uh, I like. I think they do good work. And it's called Three Radical Ideas to Totally Disrupt Air Travel, which... Of course, there's an article titled that piqued my interest and in so I started reading and then was violently ill all over myself as I started <laughs> reading this article, because it's clear that the guy that wrote it, while enthusiastic, has perhaps never been on an airplane before. And of course, that, there's a, a patented Alex Hunter hyperbolic rant right there. But I I find these articles hugely frustrating, and we'll post a link in the show notes, because it it assumes that air travel is, as it currently is, completely broken when it's Absolutely not. Sure, there's some crappy experiences here from there, but there's also some consistently great experiences. And this was a brand strategist attempting to fix, quote unquote, the physical issues uh, of an airplane, inside an airplane and perhaps some of the the boarding process. And I'll give you the three things that he suggests. Ban carry-on luggage
0: altogether. (laughs) I see you. For those who don't know, while we record, we see each other. We have a camera. So I see Alex both fuming and s- laughing at the same time. So that's why I laughed. So yeah, uh, band carry-on luggage. Band I carry-on mean, so on luggage. basically what they propose is to drastically reduce the size of overhead bins to very, like a very, very, very limited amount, like you might find on planes like the. Q 400s so very small proper planes, or as they say, as it used to be back in the fifties or something. Honestly, what do you think about it? It's a stupid
1: idea um, for a number <laughs> of reasons. One, airlines would never do it because it is a huge amount of ancillary revenue for them. And he states he talks about fuel savings and things like that. But those they're going to still have to carry all the stuff that I would you're now forcing me to check in.
0: It's not like that stuff doesn't come on the plane. Um, yeah, and, and I would say that we had an interaction on Facebook because a friend of ours, Ivan Hernandez, put that link and kind of copied us there. And Greg and Andale, whom we had on the show, said, "I'm never going to part of my ten thousand dollars equipment that I have on purpose next to me because he fly. You know, he has cameras and drones, or what's and what's not. And I get that. It's exactly my same sentiment. I have my MacBook. I have like so much stuff." that I really care about. I would never have them anywhere else, but next to me.
1: Not in a million years. Not in a million years. I think it's it's insane. And the economics don't add up and no airline is going to do it. And he you know, he makes a point about running boarding simulations, founding that ditching all of the roller bags would expedite boarding by 71%. And mm-hmm. that's not true it can't i mean, it may simulate that way, but we board and we faff, we take our jackets off, we look around, we may wait for somebody to get you know into the right seat it It doesn't work like that. You can't just assume that overhead bins and overhead bags are the root cause of of delays. They're not they're absolutely
0: not I also like the the way they call it it's a fedora bin or something, as if anyone knows what a Fedora is nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> that's I a mean, hat, by the way. If there's one thing, that's one comment that also kind of made me laugh in that uh, imagination of future flying, is that supposedly, if airlines were to put these type of very reduced uh, overhead bins, then they would either not charge for it, like, yeah, let's dream, they will still charge for it. Or, and they, that I quote, if this continue to uh, charge for it, they should offer uh, additional services like uh, don't make people wait at the carousel of their flight and deliver the luggage in the hold in the passenger's hotel room, as if that would happen. Yeah. I mean, it happens. Some airlines do it. Very few do do it for premium passengers. But this is a bit of a piper dream. It doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, because you're with those two things, you're completely offsetting the claimed revenue that you would claw back. And and what he's saying is that there should be smaller overhead bins for things like your laptop. But there are so many holes in the argument from a practical perspective. It's just not feasible. And I think it's important to point out, we're not bashing this guy. I
0: appreciate any. Is that a guy? By the way, yeah, I want to interrupt you there. Actually, the 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 baseline of all this was done by Teague. It's uh, I don't know if I pronounced the company well. They're the they're the company, the design consultancy who have designed the interiors for pretty much all the Boeing airplanes since since the 40s or 50s. They've prototyped the interior design for the 787. They've done the latest uh, intra design for the Dreamliner for Aero Mexico or Canada. So these guys kind of know what they're doing. I just feel that in that case, they went into a dreamy mode. Like, let's forget that there are any economics behind and let's just think about what it could be. I mean, I, I, I commend them for trying. Yeah. I commend them for asking questions and maybe really sparking a debate. I don't really commend them because it doesn't really relate to any of the economics of air travel. The revenue management, etc. Uh, do you want to go? So there were two other, there two others. So oh. the next one is make middle seats feel exclusive. So <laughs> this one I really.
1: <laughs> the idea here was nobody likes fi- flying in the middle seat. Uh, that's not true. So they thought make it feel exclusive, so you could like they called it promotional class. So you get these quote unquote cool companies, Uniqlo, Nike, Adidas, to sponsor this sh- the seat and give them branded products, essentially, which is, <laughs> is just gross. I mean, I really, it's just, it's gross. And I think brand partnership is a great way to, to do things. I think it's a fantastic way to grow a nascent brand into something by piggybacking on the popularity and the voice of an established audience with which you share similar ideals. Air, good airlines, good businesses do this already. They do it really, really well. This just feels like you are making the situation even worse by selling to your customers, allowing another brand to sell to your customers. It's just... And the last one, the membership the, thing? the last one. This one, I think with a little bit of thought, actually warrants some merit. Uh, this is, you have a kind of Amazon Prime style membership. Um, I think most of us would refer this to this as a loyalty program, which all airlines already have. But what what this organization is is suggesting is that it goes deeper than, you know, mileage redemption, that you would get things outside of the travel experience, like sports tickets or, um, you know, Starbucks gift cards and things like that. But those of us who are invested in a loyalty program want those mile redemptions. We want the tier status. We want things like that. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine who is in revenue management uh, in the US for an airline did pop up and comment that he actually saw a little bit of merit in this idea, not as it was put forward, but with uh, a little bit more thought and sort of practical uh, <laughs> understanding of the economics of, and, and necessity of loyalty programs.
0: They wanted to creating a, an imaginary app that would allow if that membership thing would actually exist, you would able, so you'd have basically you'd be locked in to that's the other thing. You'd be kind of locked in because you would pre-buy all your flights basically, because that's a bit Amazon prime doesn't, you don't pre-buy all the stuff you buy on Amazon, but yeah. you have free delivery, et cetera. It's a bit of the same idea. You would actually pre-buy some of the inventory you are about to use during the year. And they would say, so if you end up not using a flight you booked, you can resell it on your own. Yeah. If you want to switch uh seats, you can also start to like, Oh Alex, you want that seat because I don't like it. And do you want to exchange with me or something? Yeah. Like that. And I think that that's a good, that's a good idea. I think it needs fleshing out.
1: And Greg, uh, another Greg. I have so many Gregs in my life. Absolutely, uh, he said there is revenue potential in setting up a system for passengers to swap and resell seats, and
0: plenty of value in bundling of that up into an annual membership. Uh, so when, when when these proposals were made to uh, the conference called Apex Expo, uh, which is an airline uh, passenger experience uh, conference. They also had like a lot of very, very negative comment about it. And I think the company, not backpedaled, but went to say, oh, you know what? It was more of a thought exercise who wanted to give uh, open the debate. Yeah, well, why not? I just think that these are, in, in more general, I think that the problem we have, we have so many people using the word disruptive for so many things. You know, every new app that allows you to book plane tickets is supposedly disruptive or every new you know, drink Delta or United or Emirates, whoever offers you when you're flying is supposedly disruptive. We have to be, stop and step back. I think the disruption already exists in our travel. That's called on one side, low cost, and the other side is called, you know, these premium carriers like Emirates we keep mentioning here. Because if if you want to take the analogy with, with Uber, you we have UberX, it's low cost. Low cost has democratized travel to a way that is just incredible. Yeah. I mean, people tend to have this kind of idealized imagery of the past. You know, we see this image of Pan Am and the upper deck of the 747 has a bar and a piano. The only thing that people might not realize is that these only existed for for some of them only existed even just in drawings, never actually existed. Yeah. And the Pan Am one I'm just mentioned was. Discarded after a few months because the airline realized it was better to put seats. So having a dream that supposedly travel in the 50s, the 60s and 70s was much, much better is, is not, it's wrong. I remember as a kid, I was traveling to the US in the 80s with my parents and they were, you know, the, the plane was filled with smoke. The hair was rotten. The food was not that great. Of course, maybe there were a few more inches on the seats in the economy. Uh, Okay. I was a kid, so I cannot totally relate to that, but. Come on, the, the price you would pay to do that travel, and now you can basically cross an entire continent for the price of a cab fare.
1: Yeah, and I, I mean, this is disruption. It makes us sound like spoiled brats, doesn't it? I mean, we can, we can sit in a plane, get from one continent to, a, to another continent in relative comfort watching brand new movies on our own screen, eating not terrible food, as we discussed last episode. And yet we're saying this whole thing needs to be completely
0: revolutionized and disrupted. It just it bothers me. I think the two things that actually make a market disruptive, and the one thing aided by the other, is competition regulation. If you like a competition, that the low cost thing I just mentioned, the day the Europe became one single market, the open skies, it allowed the creation of Ryanair and EasyJet and others, and suddenly yeah. they they're able to fly you from you and me, Alex, from the UK to everywhere in Europe for like 50 quid for nothing. Whereas before we'd pay like, I don't know, 10 times the price. And they also force and that's competition, they force major airlines like Swiss, like Lufthansa, like in the US, United against like Southwest. So they force Virgin, you, you guys, when you, we did, you forced the, the major airlines to kind of realign what they were offering Absolutely. Because new people were coming. And on the other side, the Emirates, et cetera, that, of course, I, I understand there's huge debate about subsidies, not subsidies, blah, blah, blah. But you know, in the same idea. They offer a new type of service. And, uh, and look, even the Americans that are uh, very critical about the Middle Eastern airline, now they're introducing live flight beds for transatlantic, live flight beds between JFK and San Francisco. So they're also upping the ante. So don't tell me that competition doesn't exist. Don't tell me that disruption is not happening. It's not perfect. We're not saying that it's perfect. We're not saying that it's great to travel. Yeah, sometimes seats are cramped. But seats, look, the example I took a few minutes ago about me flying in the 80s, a seat from EasyJet nowadays that doesn't have recline is far more comfortable than a seat in the 80s. Come yeah, on. absolutely. <laughs> At the end of the day, we, we vote with our wallets. We pay for that. We're okay to pay 50 bucks for a flight that's not going to be extraordinary, but it's going to fly us to places we couldn't have been before. I think it's it's absolutely okay. Anyway, um, talking also competition, because that's going to be the theme of the show in a way. The competition <laughs> is... Allows for better planes, you know. Now they have they hit the hit environment less. Of course, it's still a problem. There are lower noise, and since we mentioned Lois last episode with uh, Ethro, so you remember the chairman of Ethro said that oh, it's great, a seven four seven is disappearing because it makes too much noise. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because this week you you you've heard about a scandal: a uh, Volkswagen was cheating on its um, for the fuel emissions, yeah. uh, having a software and. And he went on and said, you know what? It's great for in, for the airline industry as well, because all the effort we're trying to make on the airline industry are now will actually make us forced to even do better. They already, at Ether, for instance, introducing all the buses that I hate personally taking buses. They want they make them either hybrid or they want to go full electrical. Ether is also encouraging airlines to switch off one or more engines while taxing. And they're also encouraging to switch off the air condition and other uh, underutilized uh, electricity-eating generators. This is disruption, guys. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Talking about another thing that is disrupting is the ultra-long haul. These are things that couldn't be done before, and you found the new champion for these long long haul, right?
1: Yes, San Francisco to Delhi, oh, wow, and and long. and back and back. They're not just going to go one way. Um, this <laughs> is Air India's flight that is going to start next year um, and this so emirates had uh, had announced dubai to panama city and then just a few days later which was going to be the longest at about 17 and a half hours uh, and now it is has been pipped by by delhi to san francisco and i can't even comprehend how painfully dull and butt-numbing numbing that is going to be. <laughs> They're going to do it with the uh, with triple seven three hundred ers. I think that's probably the only plane that could do it.
0: But uh, it's it's and, and the pro- the product on Air India is not Emirates, right? You said when we ch- shared that news that you wouldn't try to do that. No, I
1: I definitely <laughs> wouldn't. I don't. I mean, Air India's reputation has not been stellar recently. They've had some bizarre issues. Um, the in flight product has suffered.
0: Massively, um, so it'll be it'll be crazy. Imagine if the IFE stops working for an, uh, such a long flight. Oh, that would be oh. horrible <laughs> For those people who would like to make records, uh, I'll post a link of all the longest flights you want to take. This one is going to be by far the very much longest, and I'm sure that when Singapore Airlines uh, reintroduce its uh, Newark Singapore, that will take the crown again, possibly because I think it's more than 18 hours oh. as well. Another thing that happens, of course, in the realm of competition is, uh, and we just mentioned it, is you know airlines have to suffer through competition sometimes, especially the traditional ones. Uh, Lufthansa has, has done strikes again, uh, not as much as last year, honestly, because you remember we even suffered you and me, Alex, with uh, cancelled flights last year. But we it's, did. It, it, it's it's still it's still a problem. It's true that, and I would give that to some of the criticism of the airline industry. It's true that in some countries the the sacrosaint. Uh, shareholder value might be uh, <laughs> debatable, to be honest. But uh, we've seen other other stuff happening. There's uh, two other airlines that have have announced. The uh, first one is uh, Air France. So Air France has been downsizing of sorts in the past, but they've only done it through, uh, in France, what they do is they encourage you to take your retirement plan, basically. So basically, you're not fired, it's not a layoff, it's a social plan. Whereas this time, uh, there were discussions with the unions, especially with the pilots, have broken down, and they're basically saying that we will start firing employees uh, because we have, we have no choice. And they mentioned that look at Iberia and BA, so they're part of the same group, because they were more stringent about it, they were able to uh, make profit. And uh, there was a story as well about BA. Uh, yeah, BA at Gatwick specifically,
1: BA have basically told. Uh, some of their BA crew that they have to either leave or take a, take a lower paid job as a customer service manager. So they're basically reassigning them to this new title without actually changing their duties. They could lose uh, about nine grand a year. uh, Some of them, some of them claim. Yeah. Because with, with the most senior crew uh, of this particular type, uh, I Gatwick, with 20-plus years of experience, earns 33,000. And I think nine grand out of 33,000, that's that's not a small, that's that's huge. But here's the thing, and I think this is what is grading a lot of people. IAG, who, as you mentioned earlier, are the parent company of BA, are expecting to make 1.6 billion pounds in profit this year. So they're asking some pretty reasonable questions. Mm-hmm. About that, why are we all having to do this when we're going to make so much money
0: less uh, this year? Yeah, this is this is probably, uh, and we'll talk about United later in the show. This is uh, also something that is. I want to make clear. I said I'm all for competition, but it has its downsides, and this is one one of which. First, for the people, of course, if, if they lose their job, a yeah. massive pay cut, but also obviously for the sometimes the you know inequality in how it's being made. So, uh, and we're not here hiding about that fact. Uh, Kendall uh, Crichton, uh, she, uh, we, you remember, we also thanked them at one in one of our shows. She works at Flyers' Rights uh, based in Berlin now. She sent me, that's interesting. She sent me because uh, the other bit, of course, the competition is regulation. I mentioned earlier that the seats were getting probably smaller. So they uh, opened a petition. Uh, they had more than 30,000 uh, signatures and they wow. actually... Uh, Submitted it to the DOT in the US. Uh, the proposal says that they want basically to have a moratorium, so to stop uh, the airlines from reducing uh, seat pitch even more than it is today. They argue that first of all, people have uh, you know gained weight. That people are also taller than they used to be, and that finally, uh, and that's something that you might actually appreciate, Alex. That a lot of the regulations of for evacuation were made with old assumptions, and now if you have uh, just eight twenty-eight inches between you and your seat in front, which is the case for low-cost airlines in the US, you cannot evacuate a plane in ninety seconds. Do you think it's mm-hmm. valid? That's
1: yeah. I I wouldn't. Uh... Doubt it for a second, to be honest yeah, with you. Either. I think that's a little worrying, and I think, I think it reflects a trend generally. And I, the the Las Vegas BA incident has kind of highlighted the need for the ability to evacuate an airplane. Quickly and efficiently, so something happens. So this is actually, I'm the DOT is the right place to take this kind of thing up. So I, I, they're they're doing a good thing here.
0: And, and you you had said in a few episodes ago yourself that you know at some point regulation might the hammer of regulation might arrive, and this might be a trigger. We'll see. If, yeah, I hope it, for them. But, absolutely. You know, the health concerns i think you know you might see more uh,
1: episodes of dvt and things like that as as we heard so so graphic graphically and firsthand from from greg Annandale when he was on uh, on on the show
0: it's true that we we mention a lot of uh, premium seats because it's of course most of the innovation seems to happen in premium seats so i'll i'll tell you that it's not always the case but it's true that the, there's a very heated competition about the premium seats i mentioned as well that even the american airlines uh are uh, introducing, you know, these live flat seats, uh, the PS service, etc. So it's it's truly a market that is high yield, which is why they do it. Uh, American Airlines actually wants to drop Zodiac, which is one of the top three seat manufacturers in the world, because they cannot deliver enough seats in time for their uh, Dreamliners, I think, or uh, the triple sevens, triple seven, sorry. Uh, so meaning that it's so that there's so much demand for these premium seats that there's a glut. It's it's pretty impressive. But at the same time, let's not forget that uh the other side of the the spectrum when we talk about Emirates and all these airlines, people say, Oh, they're subsidized. I mean, usually the debate that people have, but even themselves, you know, are under the hammer of competition. We saw that Emirates is removing the first class for the A380 to Copenhagen. I've also read a story that's pretty interesting, is Qatar. Airways is basically saying that it might just also jettison the entire first class besides the A380, and they don't have that many A380 because they say, oh, well, our new business class product, which they haven't unveiled yet, will be so good that there will be no need for first class. But maybe what they're not saying is that, that you know what, there's maybe that that enough paying customers for first class. And, you know, it's just it's just competition at the end of the day. It's nice to have massive seats in in the very front of the cabin. If no one pays for them, if they're only upgrades, at the end of the day, you know, economics just close back and they have to. So they, we'll see. They say it's going to be a fantastic product. They'll have a double bed for the price of a business airfare. We'll see if they achieve that or not. And I think an interesting just little detail in this
1: article about the those seats is that they claim they're going to be proprietary. So you're not going to run into this thing where you see basically – the same seat, slightly different colors and features across a bunch of different premium cabins. They they claim ownership of this design. So it's going to be interesting to see what they unveil. Uh, Saudi
0: also has, I've never taken, have you flown them ever? Uh, no, I don't think I have. I hope I will maybe one day. I read an article that apparently in a premium cabin, they have a seat with an articulated movement system Which adjusts passenger seats automatically depending on their postures and body movements. That sounds (laughs) awful. They've also then made actually but you were mentioning air india they also have a Jeddah lax which is i think the fifth longest current flight without air india so the sixth as else you better have that kind of stuff uh a very comfy seat for these very long flights absolutely uh lufthansa as as for those who fly them uh, just finished its upgrade program so basically all the long haul flights of lufthansa now have the new business class seat if any of you is a Lufthansa flyer, you'd be happy. You don't have to check seat grow all the time to be sure you have one of these new seats. We just we keep mentioning the, the front of the cabin, but I think what most often happens is that a lot of innovation happens in the front of the cabin and then it trickles down to the back because p- things become more cheaper. Of course, innovations for IFE, etc., can be spread all across the cabin. So it means that you also have good stuff happening in the cabin. There was uh, I think it was a BEI space, they've introduced a jazz seat, which is a very lightweight seat with a lot of IFE. They are very comfortable seats, apparently, for those who have tested them. This is disruption.
1: Not the nonsense that we talked about at the top of the show. The jazz seat, I, it's, I strongly encourage you to take a look at it. It's really, really interesting the way that they've done it. It's, and- uh, it's so cool. It's from Panasonic. And it's just, as Paul said, it's lightweight, but it doesn't kind of... Take away the creature comforts. It's got the a great ife system. It's got the plugs and stuff you need. It's got a, it's got a, a LED light at the bottom of the screen bezel, so it's not pointing down at you from the the ceiling of the cabin. Oh, yeah. It's pointing. It's much more
0: localized, which is is so clever. And these these smart innovations are usually made again in the front but i think they trickle down there's a you we see uh alex has been a few times in in premium me as well because let's be clear we do not always fly premium guys we play no, it's a rare <laughs> rare treat when we get to and, our miles but the, the smart things you say the smart cabins the smart materials being used in the front will start to be used in the back there was a one, I'm not sure about, there was, a, I'll put the link, there was a modular economy system. So basically, the the seats could be moved around and make some kind of booth. I'm not sure the airlines will ever go to that because it creates a lot of complication for recreating the entire cabin for every flight, maybe. Yeah. So I'm not sure the, about this. One of the best things that happened to economy is premium economy. And you guys were at Virgin, one, one of the first, if not the first to actually have imagined, right? Yeah, I believe uh, I believe Virgin Atlantic was among the first
1: to have something like premium economy,
0: and you see that more and more for a very reasonable price. Air just announced uh, uh, its Excel product, so basically, you have slightly more legroom, a slightly better uh, sit pitch. So this is this is also something that that happens in more in the back of the cabin. Not all the airlines as uh, premium economy, but I think this is something that we will see more and more being developed. But there was one other that really. I'm not sure it's going to ever happen. It's the, I don't know. Can you describe it? I don't know how to describe it with these. You know, I've read this article like three or four times
1: and I'm still not a hundred percent clear how it works, but essentially the design is supposed to allow the aisle seat to slip quote unquote sideways over the middle seat, making the aisle bigger so that you can get like two people side by side walking down it or, or, or a wheelchair. Um, and it's basically, again, uh, uh, trying to alleviate the awfulness or perceived awfulness of the of the middle seats by giving them a slightly wider seat, dedicated armrests, things like that. But it seems like a massively over-engineered solution to a problem that is perceived to be much bigger than it actually is.
0: Yeah, it could be. We we'll we put the link because it's always hard to describe these kind of patterns because most of these are patterns without seeing the pictures. There was also another one which said uh, when you would check in, even probably maybe buy your ticket, you will declare your height, and all the seats will actually you know change pitch depending on your height. That yeah. looks like a bit something... I'm not sure what not happened. going to happen. It's just that these companies, the design companies, the, the Zodiac, etc., are thinking about it. They're not just throwing patents out there for nothing. They, they know that at some point, it will trickle down to an actual innovation for the seats. And seats, again, as I said earlier in the show, are, are much better now than they, than they used to. Uh, but talking about the uh, about regulation, another type of regulation is... So in Europe, we are lucky probably, to have regulation about delays. So when a plane is delayed too much, you can actually ask for compensation to the airline. There was a court order that is changing the game in Europe for that.
1: Yes, big time. In the past, a mechanical delay or technical issue was ruled as, or could be ruled as, extraordinary circumstance. And extraordinary circumstances do not require airlines to pay out if there's a delay, uh, and the European Court of Justice has said that's nonsense. Um, and it would the precedent was set with this case against KLM that said that unexpected technical problems are no longer can no longer be classified as extraordinary circumstance, and so now a bunch of people uh, could be eligible for up to six hundred euros per person. I think that this was kind of brought to everybody's attention by a 27 hour delay. 27 hour <laughs> delay and there was there was humming and hawing about whether this person was eligible for any type of compensation, which is amazing. And of course, Ryanair being the masters of avoiding these types of fees have gotten quite good at changing the reasons for delays to be things like weather, which is an act of god and an extraordinary circumstance things like that, but Uh, they should no longer be able to hide behind um, some creative storytelling to... Yeah, actually, the Civil
0: Aviation Authority uh, in the UK is starting to enforce these, uh, uh, let's say, more stringent against Ryanair. I say, come on, guys, you're delaying, 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 changing your story all the time. And they will clearly use that court order now to actually even go even further. Uh, What I I wanted to ask you, though, Alex, is that... um, airlines apparently are turning to another creative naming instead of calling it a technical problem they are naming it a hidden manufacturing defect oh see that's crazy
1: (laughs) that's i mean there's something quite genius about that evil (laughs) you know it's so because the way that they the way that you can claim if you've been delayed for a certain period of time is if the Airline could have reasonably foreseen and prevented the cause of delay. So, technical issues that they should have figured out when they were doing their routine maintenance. Airline strikes, um, the knock-on effects from those strikes, bad timing for turnarounds. Uh, you know that type of thing. But you can't complain. You can't complain, or, or you can compl- complain all you want, but you won't get any money for. Air traffic control or infrastructure strike issues, security issues, um, weather, anything like that. So manufacturing defects, which is to the point that you just made. So
0: Yeah, but it- the, the the funny bit, the irony here, if it's a truly a manufacturer defect, you have to ground the airline. Or actually the fleet. <laughs> on, you yeah, say, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the type, the whole type has to be grounded.
0: For right basically they're grounding the entire airline because they have a single type. <laughs> right. <laughs> that will that will that will that will go to court as well if they start using that, I'm sure. Did you ever have to claim for delay yourself? Did you ever try, Alex? I,
1: I have not tried. Um, no, I don't. I don't know if I've ever been in a situation where I would have been eligible to, anyway. To be honest, yeah,
0: I, I have once with EasyJet. It worked. Uh, six hours delay. It, it worked, and they were actually, to be honest, EasyJet were not that hard. They basically said, okay, you know, maybe they may also maybe they have an algorithm and say, okay, if. That many people ask, we're just going to give them, the other people forgot. (laughs) You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they had a process like that. It would be sensible. Talking about extraordinary circumstances, uh, the following story. Is it an extraordinary circumstance? (laughs) Yeah, this is is extraordinary. This picture popped up
1: on uh, Reddit. This is how I found it. But there was a Mesa Airlines, which was running a flight uh, on behalf of U.S. Airways Express from... Dallas to uh, McAllen Miller, which is near the Texas-Mexico border, and there was an airplane spotter doing his thing at the airport watching the planes land, and he caught on camera the moment when this plane, something happened just inches above the ground, and it banked hard to the right and scraped its wingtip along the runway. And it could have been absolutely disastrous. But mercifully, it it wasn't. The picture was is extraordinary. We'll obviously post it in the sh- uh, show notes. But of course, the the Reddit investigation team went into action and pulled up <laughs> the weather report for that exact moment and said that it was basically perfect flying conditions. But y- you don't see things like wind shear, wind shear yeah. coming up on those those METARs reports, the, the the weather reports. So it could well have been. I actually haven't seen anything. Uh, following up from this i'm sure av herald which is a fantastic website for this type of thing will surface it when it comes here but holy they were lucky they were lucky
0: doesn't a question for you does it mean that you, when this happens i mean it's a very rare circumstance when this happens do they have to kind of you know stop the aircraft from flying and make you know repair it or is it something that usually doesn't matter i don't know i'm just I, asking you
1: i you're i I, I would be amazed if they didn't Um, they didn't have to check it. And in fact, the, the folks on Reddit found that it was still there 24 hours later, meaning that they were concerned, uh, that there was, there was some structural damage. But the crazy thing was, is the person listening to the tower was saying that they just carried on as if nothing had happened. (laughs) Um, so they must've been oblivious or unconcerned something happened, but the airline has removed, I'm just reading this now, the aircraft from service, uh, as a result of this, of of this incident.
0: Uh, talking about still competition and other sur- external circumstances, our favorite airline to criticize, United. <laughs> so the CEO is on a tour. Uh, the new CEO is on a tour, basically apologizing, right?
1: He is, and I think to his absolute credit, he is doing the textbook thing for when you inherit a damaged brand, whatever the size of it. And I, you know, he, he's done a good job. He's he's going all over the place, and he's he's talking to and meeting with employees so far, Chicago, Denver, D.C., Nashville, and is on his way to Newark and Dulles to say, we haven't been good enough as an airline. And he's also saying this to employees. They took out a full page ad in basically every U.S. major U.S. newspaper saying, we're not good enough. We have this new website called unitedairtime.com where people can uh, vent, basically share ideas for improvement and things like that. Um, I think he's handling it well, whether or not this sort of cap in hand apology first methodology actually turns into action, will it remains to be seen, because they keep having
0: bad things happening. Yeah, they, yeah. they actually use 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 a word, uh, a sentence I found quite uh, telling. You said that uh, meeting all the employees. Uh, they, he said they are not a happy bunch. Yeah, I figured, and he described them with a triple D: so disenchanted, disenfranchised, and disengaged.
1: Yeah, there's, and there's that's a, the
0: recipe for a. There's a lot of work. There's, a lot of work, I mean, there's really it, a lot of work to do. I mean, there's really a lot of work to do.
1: You know, it's. I think it's again important to point out that United is not a universally terrible product. Absolutely not. Uh, it's that, it wouldn't be fair to say that, and I think that there are people at that airline at, at every function who are extremely engaged and dedicated and franchised, uh, and who, who, who do, who do great work every day. But I think this is a reflection of what everybody thought that this is an airline that is deeply, deeply unhappy inside and out. So it will be interesting to see once he's finished this kind of, this mission yeah. To see what they actually do to fix it,
0: there's a single, there's a bit of a debate though because uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, BA was making a lot of money whilst uh, trying to either fire or reduce the salary of some of its employees at Gatwick, and here uh, Delta recently has done some profit sharing, so they've basically given back. They're making a lot of money. They've given back to it to the four zero one k, so basically the pension plans. Of its employees, but United is is using the money. Is planning to using the money to do a three billion of it. That's not a small amount. No. To do a stock buyback, and there, there there's a bit of pushback there, saying that look, Delta is actually kind of giving back to the employees, and giving back to the company, to the people. Whereas here, it's back to the shareholder value. I mean, we'll see. It might, it might be that the plan was already along, or they have to pay the, the ex-CEO, right? <laughs> yeah. But, and even
1: yeah. Munoz, the new CEO, has said, this probably isn't the greatest idea, and I can understand employees why you're not huge fans of this.
0: Yeah. But they're trying to actually woo consumers, uh, so especially the uh, freaking flyers. Uh, I'm not a frequent flyer of United, although I have say this on Star Alliance. They have had a secret program, an upgrade program for years. Actually, you found an article dating from, I think, 2013. Two or three years and, ago, yeah. Exactly, explaining it. But uh, Brian Summers uh, has written, has found out that it's uh, relaunching a new program. The rules are obviously totally obscure. Uh, nobody knows if you're in the program or not. I'm, I'm, I'm sure they have some again, algorithm and rules to say if Alex Hunter is part of the program or not. But it allows you suddenly to be upgraded much easier certain routes for the first-class product. Uh, first-class, of course, internationally, they don't have that much first-class, so that's, that limits the program. But, but they're making an effort. They're trying to say, okay, look, Delta, to take the same example, the same airline is competing with them. Again, competition, see? Delta is offering these... uh Very high yield uh, customers It's offering their private jets. We mentioned that a few episodes ago to say, okay, for the final leg of your flight, we'll give you a a corporate jet to to finish it. So United is in this this current heavy waters and say, okay, we'll upgrade you. We're not going to tell you how, but we'll upgrade you. Trust us. Interesting concept. Interesting, but well, maybe it works. I mean, I've never been part of a secret program. I hope to be part of a secret program. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's also giving uh, United is also giving handing out a, 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 an iPhone six plus to all its uh, crew flight attendants. Uh, basically, that has an app that will have all the information about passengers. So there's, of course, this double-edged sword. Some people say that's creepy and that's an evasion of privacy. The other said that, you know what, if you want to be say, hey, Alex, how are you? You must have the information beforehand.
1: Yeah, and I I actually talk about this in my some of my talks that I do. This is uh, something that's happened on paper for 30 years. Yeah, And and, and airlines that, uh, that do well at that type of thing by addressing passengers by name, remembering previous itineraries, are just good at surfacing the data that the frontline crew need to to use to create moments of delight. BA Absolutely. did this with iPads a couple of years ago and then the, did the stupid thing of um, writing a, a press release and a case study about it. So they're saying that the magic is not magic, it's just process. And this is what United have done as well. Yeah, um, it, There's but, nothing wrong with this, it's a good idea, as you say, but explaining it, talking about
0: it is dumb. Yeah, I think I think the moments of delight are very important. That's why you certainly then uh, feel like a valued customer because they say, hi, Alex. Some, some airlines will call you by your first name, some by your last, but at least they have some information that allows you to create a conversation with you It makes you feel valued. If they don't have anything, then, of course, you will say, oh, you know, they, they ignore me. Well, you know, they don't know anything about you. So how they can even spark a conversation? I mean, it's, it's a tough debate, but I agree with you. It's uh, I think it's OK. I don't I don't see that as an invasion of privacy. I mean, I no. put my name and
1: everything. The, there. They have everything. Exactly. If they're just using it to make you feel a little bit more comfortable and at home
0: other uh, type of innovation they're trying, yet United is a bit doing better turnover times. Uh, we'll see if that works. They are one of the worst airlines in terms of uh, on-time uh, arrival in uh, in the US. So do you think that could yield some results? Because they're using some technology for that.
1: They are using some technology for it. I, I, I think so. I I think that they've they're meshing they're still meshing those two airlines together continental, continental and united and that type of thing when you're when you're doing kind of trying to mesh two two spinning gears at the same time it's it's never easy so they're using some technology to 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 try and do that and a good friend of mine is just has just taken over a, a vp role at united so perhaps we can get him on the show he's been in the airline industry for a very long time to see what type of things they're doing but i think technology is is a is a good way to to solve this Oh, yeah, they're using uh, beacons, apparently, something like that. Yeah, it's, it, it's interesting. I, I, this is the type of case study that I, I look forward to hearing about. Ex-
0: exactly. Uh, talking about the disruption, a lot of people these days are putting their money into Kickstarter campaigns to have smart luggages. Uh, we've talked about smart luggage many times. Neither Alex or me are very keen about buying a smart luggage. So we're maybe not the best person to ask if you want to buy one, but there was a uh, Zach Honig is uh, one of the editors at the points guy. It's a very cool website. If you want to check Great about everything, freaking flyer stuff, He uh, wrote a very, actually I, th- I thought it was a good review about the blue smart, which is the smart luggage. that has GPS, it has a uh, geo in case you're too yeah. far from you, batteries and stuff. And uh, Honestly, the, the review was balanced. Uh, it said that, you know, there were some kinks that need, needed to be ironed out, that for the amount of money that this luggage cost, you might actually think twice and say that you could actually also buy a very high-end, uh, non-smart luggage. And uh, and he said that apparently the luggage for him, uh, to, uh, according to the, the measure, measurement he did, was probably too big for carry-on for the major three airlines which, uh, in the U.S. where United, American Airlines, and, and Delta. and BlueSmart, the company, uh, sent a very aggressive email after reading this the review. CEO. Yes, the CEO said, like, it's unacceptable. You're actually promoting competitive products. We need an explanation. ASAP. Uh, and... Of course, getting that kind of angry comment is not very good for their brand. But not only that, they went even further. They changed. So BlueSmart changed the measurement they're showing on the website of the luggage. So the luggage is still the same size, but they're reducing the size on the website, apparently, which means that basically now you're buying a luggage that is actually larger than it's promoted to be, and that might not fit with airline's regulation. I find the whole process really disconcerting. I think yeah. it's... Bit of a train
1: wreck, I think, uh, and and the guy that was reviewing it did a good job of updating his review, uh, not modifying the content, but just adding to sort of keep this narrative going and tell uh, tell everybody the back and forth. And I think the massive massive mistake the Blue Spart they made was. They sent this guy a free uh, piece of luggage to review and assumed that he would write a favorable review about it because they gave it to him. Yeah, free advertising. It's insane. It's It's absolutely insane. And I think that they've done themselves a huge amount of damage by – by doing reacting, You're reacting
0: this way. Yeah. I mean, that's not smart. Uh, and right it wasn't, really. it wasn't a bad review. It was balanced. I mean, yeah. said it worked for some people, maybe not for some, some others, but it works. And it just, that he even said that there were the kinks so and the GPS was not working well, but he said, probably they will fix them out. You know, it's a very early release. So it was, I don't get it. I don't get how angry I mean, they went and how they can damage yeah. themselves. I mean, look, this is the internet, you know, people will, obviously, I would have done the same. I would have said, look, this is the email I've been sent. You know, now read it. You know, it's I mean, just extraordinary. I mean, some people need to learn. So I'm not going to buy a blue smart. I was not planning nope. to anyway. So you're not losing a customer, guys. It was just, <laughs> I was never a customer. Uh, Quebec Airport in Canada is deploying Apple Watches to all its crew for better, as well, information management. So people know where the planes are arriving to gates, etc. Are you happy with the Apple Watch, Alex? After now two weeks?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not bold. I think it's, I think it's neat. It, it, it means I take my phone out of my pocket maybe once or twice a day, which it definitely ticks that box for this type of thing. The notifications, you know, X Plane has is wheels down or, or or something like that. I can absolutely see the thing, but trying to access information in a timely manner it's faster to pull my phone out of my pocket.
0: A notification perspective, I think it's phenomenal. I agree, makes sense. Uh, Haneda Airport had done a similar experiment, but I think it was with a Samsung watch, if I remember correctly. These are little things that make their work easier and probably also create better turnover time, better service at the airport. So I think it's it's good. AirAsia, have you ever flown AirAsia? No, but actually I might uh, in April. Oh, oh, you will tell me because I've never flown them, neither them or the AirAsia X. And the the co-founder, Tony Fernandez, said that his company, the airline, was basically an internet company. It's a strange thing to say. Doesn't not make sense. They're an airline. (laughs) Yeah, they're an airline. But then when you think about brand like EasyJet, you have all the stuff they do around, which is now goes to the buses that run to airports, to other stuff. So and a lot of it is happens online. It's an e-commerce company. You play. You being upsold to buy an extra this ancillary services there. So in a sense, I get it. I'm not going to say they're purely an internet company, but I understand. Why do you say it?
1: If it's his way of saying that they are embracing the spirit of an internet company from innovation, they're doing best in practice, um, you know, e-commerce and tech, and, and joining everything up across their services, sure, it's an admirable aspiration.
0: And uh, they are actually making more than 20% uh, of uh, revenue uh, from ancillary goods and services. So it's it's a big chunk of, of, sense. Uh, of their airline. Staying in Asia, we finally have the answer Will Malaysian Airlines change its name or its branding? Alex? No, <laughs> they will not. Uh, Christoph Muller has has finally,
1: like you said, answered the question and said that there will be no uh, hard rebranding. It will still be called Malaysia Airlines, but he said that it will be a brand refresh. So a total kind of reimagining of the product, the seats, the catering, the in-flight entertainment lounge, see, yeah. all of that. But also... Operational improvements. So working hard on punctuality, connections. So that was an interesting, the strategic kind of realignment of the, of the organization to make KL a hub and kind of mirror what Singapore Airlines is doing. They are pulling back massively on, on long haul capacity and focusing on, like said, on yeah. regional and mid range as well, which I think everybody kind of predicted that
0: they would happen when they started getting rid of, of their bigger airplanes as well. Yeah, no. they say we're going from a Northwest, Southeast focused uh, more to our North and South. So because I, th- I think they will actually uh, try to tackle a lot of Australia. Australia, Australia. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, it makes sense. At the end of the day, you better put money in the product itself, which was not out of the ordinary. It was not bad, but it was not great either. It was really so-so. Rather than actually putting all your money and just repainting the planes and you know creating a new logo, which that costs a lot of money. So I think it's a, it's a fair and intelligent decision. Yes, agreed. Uh, talking about money to spend, Emirates, of course, has a, a few quid on the side to spend, and they just released uh, uh, an ad today. Uh, we are recording on October 5th at 11 a.m. GMT with Jennifer Aniston. So the ad uh, signed a contract with Jennifer Aniston, a, f- a famous uh, U.S. actress, uh, on in, I think it was in August, for $5 million. The first ad is released, and honestly... After what Eddie Hadd had done with uh, Nicole Kidman, oh, or what B.A. had done with Gwyneth Paltrow, this ad is really cool because it's really funny.
1: Yeah, it is. A, it's very funny. It's 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 none of the same kind of beautiful, elegant, yeah, exactly. or, or, or handsome man, uh, or sort of you know classy kind of person. Kevin Spacey did it for American Airlines for a long time, uh, gliding down the aisle into one of the premium cabins. It is a sitcom very yeah.
0: funny, poke at what Paul and I think is Delta. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, Eric, told me, for him, the first airline he thought was United. But I mean, it could be any of the three American airlines, honestly. It's it's very funny. It's I would encourage you to watch it. It does a great job of
1: showcasing the product, obviously. There's um, no there's no bar here, but we do have hot towels and a bag of peanuts. bag <laughs> of peanuts, right.
0: <laughs> it's good. I think they did a great job. Uh, it's a great job. T- I really loved one thing at the end. Uh, you'll watch it. We'll, I'll put, of course, uh, the link on the show notes. Probably by the time, everybody would have watched it. I think I shared an example. Exactly at 11 a.m. Uh, now it has already more like, I think, 2 million views. So it goes very, very quickly. Yeah. But I really like one thing is that uh, at the very end of the ad, uh, she says something I would say when I'm long calling premium with Emirates. says, maybe we could fly around a little bit longer, like an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said the exact same thing. I think I might even have said it. Uh and still talking about stars used uh, for airlines. A friend of, of mine, Frankie, in Japan just flew from uh, Tokyo to Sapporo, and he put on Instagram a picture of the in-flight magazine from ANA. You know, usually at the very end of the in-flight magazine, you have the fleet. It tells you that they have this or that aircraft, etc. Uh, and <laughs> behold, the Millennium Falcon is so listed- <laughs>
1: good. They're 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 milking this relationship with uh, with Disney for as
0: much as they can. And good on them. It's so cool. Two. To show that airline doesn't always need disruption, and there's also light and fun stories. Uh, the airline industry is cool. One first story we had the NFL, the National Football League, playing in London on the last Sunday, but there was this exchange on Twitter that was just so funny.
1: It's it's hilarious. I think um, I I can't tell if this is a total cultural misunderstanding yes, or absolutely. if it's the perfect example of incredibly dry british humor but joe philbin is the uh, coach of the dolphins who have had a bit of a rough start um to the year to say the least they're they're one in three
0: and they they lost 27 to 14 in london against the jets from new york
1: and so uh, a couple of uh, a couple of p- people tweeted out saying things like, Joe is going to be left in the Heathrow Airport, lost and found. To which Heathrow Airport's official Twitter account replied almost immediately, Hi, Jay, we apologize, but we do not process people at Lost and Found. <laughs> I think that that was brilliant. That was absolutely um, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then they invited him to apply for a new job as a baggage handler and giving them the link to apply. <laughs> to.
0: Just great. And, uh, and another feel-good story, uh, Toronto Pearsons International Airport, there was a teddy bear that was lost by a four-year-old girl, uh, couldn't find it, she had obviously forgot it in the airport. And they made sure that the teddy bear would be in the hands of that four-year-old, She's, her name is Phoebe, but they documented the whole thing. So first you see the teddy bear in a drawer at the airport, then you see being scanned at the X-ray scanner at security. Then you see it on the moving sidewalk. I find it very cute. And that shows that, you know, people, like you said earlier, even for United, people can be lighthearted. Most of the time, people are extremely nice in the airline industry. So I commend the staff at Toronto Pearson International Airport because it was a really, really nice story. But now to Long Beach. For me, when somebody mentioned Long Beach, Shows me back to the story we we had a few episodes ago about Iron Maiden and uh, Bruce Dickinson because he very famously screamed. On uh, Live After Death, which is a very famous live album, "Scream for Me, Long Beach." So that's my <laughs> the only thing I know about Long Beach. So I'll let you run with it. Long Beach is fantastic.
1: I, I it's one of my favorite airports in America, if not if not the world. I have uh, a friend who lives there, and so I've I've been through it many many times. It's uh, in the Greater Los Angeles area. And it's a it's a pretty big airport, but it's it's mainly focused on 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 regional traffic. Its its top destinations are places like uh, Salt Lake City, Vegas, Oakland, which is near San Francisco, Seattle, uh, and and San Francisco itself. It is a stunning airport. It is uh, a beautiful Art Deco building that is. cute. Is cute the right word?
0: I think cute is the right word. It is a cute airport. I've never been, but I looked at uh, some images online. I really want to go now. It's really nice. I like that kind of- It's stunning. It's it's maintained
1: a lot of the character of its original architecture, which is fantastic. I even think it's protected. And it's got upstairs behind the check-in desks, there's a staircase and you can go up and there's this really great diner with an open terrace overlooking the ramp. Unfortunately, with a bunch of the old the terminal kind of being encroached on with, with uh, this new security and baggage claim to, to allow for increased capacity, the actual flight line has been pushed back a bit, but it's still you get to sit out in the California sun and watch these airplanes come and go. Another really interesting thing about uh, Long Beach Airport is it was, until very recently, home to McDonnell Douglas and then Boeing's um, C-17 manufacturing line. Mm -hmm. And so there's a perimeter road that runs around the airport and you could start at one end of this long building. And often because of the heat of the kind of California summer, they'd have these big hangar doors, side doors open and you could drive along and see the basics of a C-17 slowly coming together as it moved down the production line and then rolled out the other end as a finished C-17. Wow! So, you know, as a kind of, you'd see at the production line, this you know, this thing just coming together and then brand new one rolling out the end. Um, Gulfstream also have a uh, a finishing facility there. So you have all these rows and rows and rows of brand new intercontinental corporate jets as well.
0: Uh, it's a, it's a lovely little airport. Not, great... not a lot of airlines fly there. No, uh, the, uh, Jet, JetBlue is, is making a posh recently to fly there more, right? JetBlue uh, have their West
1: Coast hub there. They fly okay. a lot of, a lot of places, uh, and then it's just Delta and U.S. Airways. Other people have dabbled. Depending on where you're getting to in the greater L.A. area, that airport can be a little bit of a hidden gem for avoiding the the awfulness of of LAX, and frankly, the kind of inaccessibility of of
0: LAX as well. And uh, just right now, and we want to say hi to our friends at the Airports Council International North America because they're having their uh, annual event event at Long Beach Airport. Oh, so. perfect! Hi there, from all across <laughs> the pond. Enjoy
1: a fantastic airport. Actually, this is crazy because, um, in terms of usage, and this is really rare for an, aer- an airport of this size, eighty-seven percent of their daily movements are general aviation, oh, wow. and only and only ten percent is scheduled.
0: The, the thing that also stunned me is that they have lots. I think five runways. Yeah, it's not like a. No, assume assumed by the number of passengers, they might have one, but they have five rooms. So like, yeah, it six was helipads or something. Or it was
1: a it was a former military base. It was oh, large I army airfield. Okay. Um, so they had a lot of comings and goings. And of course, w- with you know C 17s needing to take their maiden flights and everything like that, you need long runways as well. So there's a ten thousand foot runway, but there's also a lot of runways to accommodate. Um, general aviation so they have a three thousand four thousand five thousand six thousand foot runways as well
0: anything else you want to add about it because now i just want i need to go
1: i'm a big fan there's some great restaurants in the area it's a great place for a layover even if you um, want to just fly in there and fly out of lax eventually renting a car is easy driving in la is a nightmare though
0: (laughs) so better (laughs) better see the airport for the layover then and on that alex I'll see you next time. So we said on the last episode that you were about to travel for a nondescript destination that we won't reveal. Uh, There there were so many stories that we decided to record again before a new flying in two days. So happy flying, Alex. Thank
1: you. I will report back on my adventures the next time we talk.
0: Exactly. Bye-bye, guys. Take care. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.